So this story is all about a celebration. And have you noticed that lately it is becoming more about the celebration itself than why you're actually celebrating? Anybody notice that? Did you know that on June 12th, it's National Beef Jerky Day? Anybody know that on your calendar? And what that's celebrating is the historical significance and current influence of dried meat snacks on America. June 12th. Imagine that. Picture this for a moment. Scented rose petals lining a cobblestone path. Low violin music in the background. A skylight in the sky playing with words. Photographers crouching behind bushes trying to get that best shot. A drone bumping around trying to get something secret. Well-crafted tuxedos and bejeweled gowns, hair and makeup treatment, limousines, exotic pre-parties, elaborate post-parties. What's going on in your mind right now? Are you thinking, oh, it must be a royal wedding, right? Or the coronation of a king, right? No, San Marcos High School prom. So can you see how we sometimes can make it more about the celebration itself than why we're actually celebrating? And this morning, as we look at this text, it's gotta become clear to us that what we're celebrating this morning is the why. Palm Sunday means our king, our salvation king has arrived. We are celebrating Jesus this morning. We're gonna celebrate the why this morning. And what I'm gonna take you to is this is the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. We've been reading in Luke in the past about Jesus' healings and casting out demons, even raising people from the dead and preaching the good news. As he makes this turn, this morning we're actually gonna be talking about something that was prophesied more than 500 years before this actual event. And we're gonna go to Zechariah, so that's the second to the last book in the Old Testament for those of you who are going to your Bibles. And I'm going to read um, from chapter 9, verse 9, what was revealed over 500 years before this scene that we talked about in Luke. And it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. So celebrate, right? Behold, your king is coming to you. So be aware, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foil of a donkey. So do you think this prophecy is a big deal? Something, um, the God of the universe spoke through a prophet that would happen 500 years later. Do you think this is a big deal? I think it's pretty easy for us just to read through this and move on and not even think about it much. But let me try to put something in context for you. What would you think if I told you today that Leonardo da Vinci, in 1503, as he was painting the Mona Lisa, took a break, as he was often likely to do, and started to journal. And in his journal, he wrote down that Pastor Allen was gonna be teaching at Santa Barbara High School on this day at this time. Would you think that would be amazing? Would you be in awe of that? 
if you knew that, you would be in awe of that, right? You tell all your friends, all your neighbors, all your coworkers, can you believe what just happened? That's what we're talking about here. The God of the universe spoke about Jesus Christ riding in on that donkey as our salvation king 500 years before it happened. I'd like you guys to put this Zechariah verse, mark it for this week. Think about that. Think about the significance of that. This is a big deal, right? As we look at the Luke text, we're actually gonna look at three different responses that happen as a result of that Luke text we just read. The first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the way Jesus himself responds in the midst of that story. Then we're gonna look at how the multitudes, how the crowds, how the people who were involved responded to this story of the king who was arriving. And then we're actually at the end gonna look at how should we respond, given what we're observing, what we know, how should we respond? So first we're gonna to go to Jesus' response. Jesus himself, the one who got on the colt, how did he respond in the middle of that story? And look, and the first thing he did, he responded as sovereign over it. He was in control of it. Jesus knew exactly what it meant when he got on that donkey that day. If you look at all the other Gospels, can anybody think of any other situation where Jesus rode on anything? No. What did Jesus do? He was either walking or eating, right? Or drinking, right? That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus didn't ride on anything. So the fact that he got on this donkey at that time, called his disciples to bring it to him, mounted it, and took off for Jerusalem, that was significant. That was something that he had control. Look at this for a second. Look at verse 31 that we just read in Luke chapter 19. This was almost a comical little exchange. It says, if anyone asks why you are untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. And what happened when they went to get the colt, right? As they start to untie it, the owners ask, why are you untying that colt, right? Jesus knew exactly down to the detail of the words that would be spoken between his disciples and the colt owners. It was down to that level of detail that Jesus planned this out. So Jesus was sovereign over it. He had control over it. <clears throat> he knew what this meant. He knew what we, he, as he made this turn from earthly ministry to heavenly calling, he knew what mounting the colt on that day meant. But he was also sacrificial. He was ready to die. Let's look at Luke chapter nine, verse 21 through 22 to look at Jesus' other response. And he said, and he strictly charged and commanded them, meaning the disciples, to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Jesus knew what he was doing when he mounted that cult. He knew there was a sacrifice for him. He knew what was in store for him. But he wanted to get the ball rolling anyway. He got on the cult, and that launched the rest of history for us. He knew that they wanted him dead. Um, king Jesus, willing king, in sovereign control, ready to take the ultimate sacrifice and say yes for our benefit. And given Jesus' response, what did the multitudes do, the people, the crowds? They were all crowding into Jerusalem for the Passover feast. So, so there were thousands and thousands of people rushing into the Jerusalem on the same path that Jesus was taking with his disciples on that donkey. And what did they, what did they know about Jesus? They had heard and seen about all his miraculous deeds, right? They knew that he was healing. They knew he was casting out demons. They knew he had even raised somebody from the, from the dead. 
So they were um, expectant. They wanted a king. They were being oppressed by the Romans, right? And they wanted a, an earthly king that would rule over them, take them out of their misery, and that's what they were hoping Jesus would do. So they were expectant on who this Jesus might be, and might he be the one who would save them from the oppression of the Romans. But they were also exuberant. Look about the worship that they did. What it talks about them doing is putting down their cloaks, so their garments, their coat, basically, so that Jesus and his donkey could ride over it. And that's the only thing they had. Think about that day and age. They didn't have closets like us with 10 coats and 20 shirts and 50 pairs of jeans. This was all they had. This was what gave them warmth and what gave them security and what gave them protection. They laid this down on the ground for the donkey to step on. And those who didn't have those, it says in one of the versions, that they cut down palm branches and laid them down as well. So they gave everything for Jesus in worship. And then what did they do? They shouted loud, right? Hosanna, right? They were shouting, they were singing, they were praising, and they weren't doing this in the confines of a temple. Where were they? They were on the open road, right? Giving him glory, giving him praise, calling him their king, expecting that he would release them from the burden of the Romans. They were giving him glory and honor and praise. Think about this for those of you who've either been or seen it on TV, a World Series parade or a Super Bowl parade. That's the kind of exuberance that we're talking about here. We, we're sitting here a little bit, you know, static, and think about what's happening. It talks about in this, in this story. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments, and all of the followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. So they were exuberant. They were expectant. I want to show you just a little picture of what they're doing. I'm going to go to Revelation 7, 9. And this is what we talk about in this Luke chapter. is just a little snippet of what that ultimate worship will look like. And I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. So multitudes, crowds, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches again in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So this picture of the multitudes on the road giving Jesus worship and praise is just a little picture of what it's gonna, what it's gonna be like. The whole city was stirred asking, and Matthew says they were stirred and asking, who is this man? So there's, there's things percolating there. They're excited, they're expectant, they're worshiping, but there's a problem. And the problem is they only have a part of the picture. They think he's somebody who he's really not. He thinks that he is going to be their earthly king, right? He's going to rescue them from Rome. He's going to rule over their enemies rather than rule over their hearts in humility. They have it wrong. They don't have the complete picture yet. And what I want to do is read from Luke 18 and kind of just share a little bit about what's happening in the moment. It says, and taking the 12, which is the disciples, and he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man, Jesus, by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. 
and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. See, they didn't have the complete picture. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what he was being said. So the multitudes are praising, but they're praising for the wrong why. Excuse me. This is only part of the story. And Palm Sunday starts the week that gives us the rest of the story. So if you haven't heard this before, I would encourage you to listen. If you have heard it before, I'd encourage you to receive it differently. So I would like you to just sit back and listen to a little bit about that story that happens after Jesus rides in on the donkey colt. So it was late that night when Jesus and the disciples arrived, and it was dark, and it was quiet at the temple in Jerusalem. So they turned around and went back to Bethany, which is about a mile and a half away from Jerusalem. And Bethany is the place that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived. And that's where they slept for the night. And the next morning, they got up and they went back to the temple. And when they got there, what did they find? Corruption all throughout the temple. Money changers, people buying and selling. Jesus, if you remember, turned over the tables and pushed out all the money changers and people who were buying and selling. And from that, the religious leaders started to plot against Jesus. And Jesus chastised them, if you remember, calling them whitewashed tombs. And what whitewashed tombs means is that on the outside, they tried to look good and righteous, but on the inside, they were dead spiritually. But Jesus continued to teach in this time. He went to the Mount of Olives and actually taught on the end times, taught on his second coming, taught on the destruction of the temple, and taught on the destruction of Jerusalem. And then as Passover was coming, he instructed some of the disciples to go prepare for the Passover dinner. And he asked them to go to a place called the Upper Room and get things ready. And they did that, and when they had all gotten up there, Jesus, unannounced, got a basin of water and a towel and washed all of the disciples' feet. And he did that to show them what love was really about. That love was about humility, and love was about sacrifice, and love was about serving. And he did that in the upper room. And if you remember also what happened is he picked up the bread and he picked up the wine and said, remember these things. The bread will represent my broken body and the wine will re represent my spilled blood, which is gonna be spilled for you and for your sins. And that was how the Lord's Supper or communion started. And later that night, Jesus left the upper room and went to a garden. And that garden was called Gethsemane. And there he prayed to the Father. And in that moment, Jesus was in such agony over what was going to come that he asked the Father, take this cup from me, so let me out of this. But Father, your will be done, not mine. They said he was in such agony in scripture that he was sweating what appeared to be big drops of blood. At that same place in the garden is where Judas's betrayal came to be, and Jesus 
was arrested, taken to Caiaphas, the chief priest, and put on trial. In the trial process, if you remember, Peter, one who was close to him, denied him three times before the cock would crow the next morning. Jesus was mocked and spit on and beaten and flogged and ultimately convicted and the crime, the punishment was crucifixion on a cross, the most heinous capital punishment that was available in that day. Jesus actually had to carry his own wooden cross to Calvary. This is, the, this is the king we're talking about. He had to carry his own cross to Calvary. He was nailed to that cross and left there to die. His last words were to the Father, basically saying, Lord, my spirit, I commit into your hands. And he breathed his last breath. At that moment, the curtain in the temple that was about four inches thick tore from the top down, and what that symbolized for all of us is the separation between God and man was eliminated because of what Jesus Christ, amen, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The, the earth was shaking, things were moving, the centurion and the people around him were in awe of what had just happened. And they said, this is true, this surely is the Son of God. And he was prepared for burial and put into a tomb, and a stone was rolled over the tomb. Three days later, on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and Mary went to the tomb. And what did they find when they got there? What they found was an open tomb and no Jesus. But they found an angel of the Lord. And what the angel of the Lord told them is, don't be fearful. The one who you are looking for, he has risen. The one you are looking for, he has risen. So this is the, this is the rest of the story. This is the part of the story that the multitudes who are giving him praise in our story, they didn't know this. They talked about it in Luke, they didn't know that. They were unaware of what Jesus was talking about. Jesus told them over and over again that he must die. They would be raised in three days. They weren't aware of this. They didn't know, but, but we do. So the question for us this morning is, Jesus has arrived, and I'm gonna read from John 3, 16 and 17 to just bring it all home for us. In a couple of sentences, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that story that we just heard about, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So we have the whole story. So we have the why. The multitudes in that story didn't have the why, but they were still giving Jesus praise. They thought he would be their earthly king. We have the why, that Jesus, the one who got on the donkey and rode down to Jerusalem, the king who would save has arrived and we know the story. So the question for all of us this morning as we sit here is what is our response 
Jesus responded, if you remember, out of sovereignty. He knew what was going to happen. He controlled it. He responded out of sacrifice. He knew he would die for our sake and still stepped in. He still stepped into what had. The multitudes there, they were expectant, but they were expecting the wrong thing, right? They wanted an earthly king to take over Rome and to rule over their enemies and not rule over their heart. But we have the rest of the story. So what I want you to think about is what did the multitudes do? The first thing they did is they laid down their cloaks, right? They laid down everything for Jesus. If you think about the, the, the multitudes in those days, that was everything they had. That's what I believe Jesus is calling us to this morning. He's calling us to lay down our cloaks. What does that look like for us? That's lay down our everything. That's what in our life are we hold on to that we need to lay down for Jesus. He wants to submit everything to him this morning. And then what he, what he wants us to do is give him worship. He wants us to lift up our voices in worship. And I'm gonna call the worship team back up here this, this morning right now. And I want you to think about what your response should be this morning to knowing the rest of the story. What Palm Sunday is celebrating is the arrival of the king, the arrival of the willing king who is willing to step into that. So we're celebrating Easter next week, but this morning we need to celebrate Jesus said yes. Jesus was a willing king, amen? Amen. So what did the multitudes do? It was unleashed, right? They were on the streets. They were loud. They were worshiping. They were praising. They just had the why wrong. My question to us this morning is we have the why. I just read for you the why. How are we going to worship this morning to start off Holy Week, to lead us into Easter, Resurrection Sunday? That's what Palm Sunday is about. That's what we're worshiping today. Jesus chose to sit on that donkey knowing full well what was in store for him, and he did it for all of our benefits, right? He is the saving king, amen? So this morning, the multitudes there, they they rocked it. My question to us, are we gonna worship the risen Lord this morning? I wanna read something to you real quick. This is the last two verses from the Luke text that I read to start out. It said, but some of the Pharisees, so you may be hearing little things in your voice, oh, I'm not into that. I can't get loud. I'm conservative. I don't like to do that kind of thing. Listen to what this said. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, they're talking to Jesus, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. So shut them up. Jesus, make them be quiet. Have them stop giving you praise. They shouldn't be doing that. Why is this? And Jesus replies, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Even the stones would cheer Jesus. The story is so compelling. Even the stones would cry out. So the question to us this morning is, can we let it loose a little bit? Those of us who appreciate the willing king stepping into this story for us on Palm Sunday, can we give him worship and praise this morning that we've never done before? Like the the multitudes on the road, right? The World Series parade, the Super Bowl parade. Let's do it here. Jesus the willing king stepped into this, what I just read, for us. Amen? Let me pray for us real quick. Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you allow us to understand the impact of what you did on Palm Sunday, Lord, that you are a willing king of salvation who stepped into the situation from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem for us, Lord, to save us from our sins. We pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would move 
in this place, that we would sense your presence, and again, that we would be able to give you all glory and honor and praise. We would say, Hosanna, Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Thank you for saving us. We pray this in your name, Jesus.